0: hope you believe that. Little as much when God is in it, when it is done for his glory, he does not forget. He does not, he remembers his own. And he remembers what we do for him. And so that is a, a wonderful, wonderful promise that he gives. Let's look in uh, Matthew chapter 10 this morning. We're, we're getting back into, we've had about a month and a half off from uh, Matthew. But we're gonna get back into it this morning, Matthew chapter ten. And before we do, um, several years ago, I can't remember exactly when it was, but there was a a film that was released, and it told the story of two New York police officers that, when nine eleven happened, they rushed into the twin towers like uh, so many did. And they were in the building in Tower 2, I believe it was, whenever it collapsed. And it collapsed on top of them. They ran into the elevator shaft. And they were, uh, two of the officers were able to survive. And, um, and they waited there. They couldn't move. They were completely buried under the rubble of the World Trade Center. And um, they waited there for hours. And... You know uh, that film it was made by oliver stone and uh, who is an excellent filmmaker and and he really captures the emotion he really captures the the dread of these men and I remember one part in particular where uh, where one of the officers asked for um, his commander to send out a radio signal that uh, that he wants his his son that's going to be born to be named his, he and his wife had been arguing over the name and he wanted her to name the son what she wanted to name him, which I think was after her father or something like that. And it was that point where they had lost hope that they were going to die in this dark cavern underneath all of this rubble that was on top of them and no one was ever going to find them and i think it's easy to look around the world and see that that it's it's easy that a lot of people have lost hope a lot of people are looking at things that are happening they're seeing uh they're dreading what the future might hold we're shooting down spy balloons this week and and, um, and just relationships between nations are deteriorating and, and our, 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 our leaders are trying their best to fix those things and they just seem to be making things worse and worse and worse. And, and a lot of people are losing hope in the world. I remember talking with, uh, with a young man from Lyon College who uh, we were doing this little icebreaker of how, uh, if you could live in any time in world history, in, in U.S. history, Uh, where would you live? And he said, I would live during the Great Depression because the job outlook was so much better back then. And I just remember thinking to myself, "You you are way too young to have lost so much hope already. And yet that's where a lot of our people are. And that is the world, beloved, that that is the kind of world that Christ came into. Again, he came into the real world. He came into a world that left to itself is hopeless, left to itself is, is tired, is worried, are anxious about things. There are wars and rumors of wars. There are natural disasters all around. It just seems like the whole thing is falling apart around us. And this is the world that Christ came into. And this is the world that he calls the church to go into and offer hope. There is hope, beloved. And this morning, as disciples of Christ, I'm I pray that as a result of looking at our text this morning, that that we will become committed to the mission that he calls his church to. That we will be committed to go where he calls us to. He calls us to go into this world, not the world of the future, not the world of the past. He calls us to go into this world. He's planted us where we are right now. And so let me just uh, remind you of where we have been. It's been a month and a half, and I'm sure all of you remember all the previous sermons that we have preached in Matthew. But just in case you don't, uh, let me just kind of remind you that in, in Matthew chapter 9, in verse, 30, um, in verse 36, Christ looks out on the crowds. He has compassion on them. Why? Because they are harassed and they are helpless, they are sheep without a shepherd. And as you look in chapters eight through nine, leading up to this section, you you find examples of Christ helping those who are in that. They are harassed. They are helpless. They are sheep without a shepherd. And we saw multiple pictures of, of Christ going to those that are harassed and helpless. And that culminates in, in, chap, in verses 37 and 38 where he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers to those who need a shepherd. And then in chapter 10, verse one, he calls his 12 apostles. And, and we said when we talked about that, that, that this is the foundation of the church. This is the, this is the church in miniature, if you will, And that he is calling out these 12 men to become the foundation for the answer that Christ gives to the world, to send out his people on mission. And that brings us to verse five, where we see that he is sending out, giving them instructions to go out into the world and what we are to do. And so I wanna pick up at at chapter 10, verse five and we're gonna read this text. It's, it's a long text, so I'll invite you to stay seated uh, while we read, and I would just invite you to read along from the board as, we, as I read aloud. It says, in these 12, the apostles before, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, cast out demons you've received without paying, so give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or even a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone does not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And so in this text this morning, this is the beginning of the second major discourse that, that Matthew records for us. And hes you remember, he's organized his gospel in five major discourses. We've always seen the first one, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're looking at the second one, which is the sending out of the church. And this is really the business of what we are to do. This is the business of the church. Again, the church in miniature, the, ch- the foundation of the church, and Christ is going to give some foundational instructions for the mission. And what we're gonna see in this text is that God calls the church, through the apostles, he calls the church to be on mission. We're not called to simply gather on Sunday and just have worship services, even though we are certainly to do that. We're not called to just gather and have potlucks and, and, and fun things, even though we certainly should do that. And we are commanded to do that. But beloved, the, the reason for doing all of those things is to strengthen us and instruct us for the mission that God has called us on, that Christ has given us. And that mission we find here. So the question is how, how are, we, how are we to conduct ourselves? How are we to do this? And we're gonna see in this, in this full text, we're gonna see there are four, essential, four essentials that he gives us as we are to go, we are to go out essentially in these ways. These are the things we are to do. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I have absolutely no confidence in myself that I'm gonna get through all four this morning. So, uh, so I hope to get through the first two, and, uh, and then we'll cover the other two next week as we get there. We'll see how time is, but I know you guys don't mind long sermons, so, so here we go. <laughs> uh, but here we go. Four essentials that we need to carry with us as we go and be on mission for Christ, and the first two we're gonna look at this morning is that we are to proclaim the kingdom and that we are to practice mercy, and so this morning, as we start in verses five through seven, the first essential we need to carry with us is that as we go, we are to proclaim the kingdom. Looking back in verse five, he says, these 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, let's stop right there for a minute because some people today, some interpreters and, and some of your more historical critics and stuff like that, they will say that this represents a contradiction in, in the Bible. Because as you go to other places, in even in the gospel for that matter, Jesus is actually going to say the exact opposite. In fact, in chapter eight in in Acts, excuse me, Acts chapter one, verse eight, he's going to say that you will be my witnesses, and watch this, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here, Jesus is telling his apostles to do the exact opposite, same, same men, same 11 of the 12 men anyway, same people, and yet, diametrically different instructions. And the question is, why do they do that? Some people will say that this represents a contradiction. Well, no, it doesn't represent a contradiction. What it does represent is a difference in where we are in the history of redemption. You see, Christ is here at this point. He is physically on earth. He is offering the kingdom. And God said that when the Messiah comes, he will offer the kingdom to Israel. And that's what he's doing here. But when Christ dies and Christ resurrects, now that offer of the kingdom is expanded to the world. And so, whereas here, Jesus is saying, go only to the lost uh, sheep of the house of Israel, later on, after his death and resurrection, he's gonna say, go unto all the world. This is consistent with the rest of the scripture. Uh, Romans chapter one, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God to salvation. Watch this, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles also. And so, again, this is not inconsistent with anything else in the Scripture. There's no contradiction here. There's just a difference of timing. And yet, what the point is, the principle that we take out of this, is that wherever we go, we are to proclaim the kingdom. We are to proclaim the kingdom. Why does he word it this way? You know, first of all, this is, did you notice in Matthew chapter three, verse two, John came And what did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus began his ministry in Mark, excuse me, in in Matthew chapter four, verse 17, what did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now Jesus in verse seven is gonna say, and as you are going, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a consistent message from John the Baptist who represents the prophets in the Old Testament, preparing the way for the Messiah to come and Jesus's own message. And now the message that he gives to the church, there is that consistent message across the board. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, beloved. It is the gospel of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom. And that will show itself in different ways. Obviously, the first Thing that we must proclaim is to bring people into the kingdom through the gospel by conversion. We are to announce those who are outside the kingdom. We are to proclaim to them that they must repent, they must be converted, and they need to be brought into the kingdom. But the message of the kingdom, the, the message of the church does not stop there. We're not just looking to make converts, but what does Jesus say in the Great Commission? Make disciples. And that involves the proclamation of the kingdom throughout the Word of God that we have. And wherever we go, we are to proclaim that kingdom. Remember, Jesus in the Great Commission in the last Part of it, he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, what? All things that I've commanded you, right? And so the message of the kingdom, the proclamation of the kingdom goes beyond conversion. It is to make disciples. And, and the defining aspect of a disciple are those who obey all that he has commanded us. Look at Paul's testimony in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 in verses uh, 26 and 27. He says, he's talking to the Ephesian elders and he has met up with them. He's on his way back to Jerusalem and, and this is kind of his goodbye to a church that he was very close to. So he's calling the elders of that church and they meet with him and look what he says. He says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Why? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He does say, "I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God." Paul declared the whole counsel of God. He withheld nothing that was profitable for the church. In fact, Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable." He gives those four purposes of scripture so that the man of God will be complete and equipped for the work of the ministry. So beloved, we are to proclaim the kingdom. We are to proclaim it all. We are to proclaim everything that the word of God says. To bring conversion among those who need to come into the kingdom, but also to bring discipleship to those who are in the kingdom. So beloved, think about your daily routine. What, wherever you are going, we are commanded to proclaim the kingdom wherever we go. And so let me just ask you this. What are some ways we can do this? Think about your daily routine. Think about the places you go and the things you see and the people you talk to. What are some ways that you can work the gospel, you can work the, the, the kingdom message of the scriptures into your daily routine? Let me just give you some examples. Um, and just if, this was probably about uh, a year or two ago. But I was walking through Walmart and somehow I always managed to find my way to the electronics section. But uh, wherever I'm going in Walmart, electronics is on the way. But um, I I was here to actually buy something this time, but I had some other things I needed to buy. And I asked the lady, I said, can I can I bring this up to the front? She says, well, I need to walk this up with you and give it to customer service so that when you check out, it'll be waiting for you. So I'm walking with her and I was, and I, and I kind of I laughed. I was like, so uh, it's not very, it's not, it's been a long time since I've been personally escorted to the front of Walmart. And uh, she just kind of laughed and said, well, you know, we have to do this because so many people will take, uh, they'll, they'll steal uh, the products. And I told her, I said, well, I'm gonna be honest with you. There was a time when I was younger, I would have been one of those people. And she said, really? I said, yeah. And she says, well, are you anymore? <laughs> and uh, I said, fair question. And uh, I said, no, I'm not. I'm not. Because Jesus found me. And he changed my life. He changed everything about me. He changed my desires. He changed everything. And she didn't really know where to go after that. She just said, well, I'm, I'm glad you found something. Went from there, but again, just working it into a daily conversation. Um, I didn't ask her permission for this, but uh, this last week, uh, you know, we were we were sending out some updates on prayers, and you know, Roxanne's at work, and she she gets out her phone and sees the updates of those that we're praying for, and one of her coworkers says, "Well, what what is that?" And she said, "This is a prayer app that uh, our church uses," and her coworker says, "Well, will they pray for anybody?" And Roxanne said, we'll pray for everybody. And so, and she asked to get, a, she asked if she could put her uncle on the prayer list. And so we didn't send it to the whole church. We sent it to our, to our uh, Sunday school class, but she put her coworker's uncle on the prayer list and, so that we would pray for her, pray for him, excuse me. And that opened up conversations of, of, of our church and, and the various things we do and, and just various ways to, to bring the gospel in to conversations at work. So she's good at that. That's why I married her. Um, <laughs> but what if somebody comes up to you and, and says they're upset about something that's happening? And what are, what are some ways you can work the gospel into that? Work the kingdom into that? You can, you can ask something like, well, well, how do you think God is using this circumstance in your life to shape you to be more like Christ? How do, you, how do you think God is going to use this? How do you think God is going to direct this conflict, or how would God have you direct or respond to this conflict that 's a way you can work the kingdom in, proclaim the kingdom, or maybe it 's a lost person and they're upset and, and you can ask something like, "Well, well, what role do you think that God is playing in this? Maybe somebody is is really nervous about about these wet, these weather balloons, these spy balloons that are being shot down this week and, and oh my goodness, the world is, is, is going to war then, and they'll say things like, the, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Somebody says that to you and you could ask them, well, what role do you think God is playing in all of this? Where do you think God fits in all of this equation? Why do you think the world is like that? Why do you think this person is so evil? Why do you think the world is happening the way it is? There are just so many ways that you can work the gospel into your daily routine, into your daily conversations. And so that's what I'm encouraging you to do. We're not, it's, we're not talking about simply preaching as a formal act, whether it's done in the church, or whether it's done in the street or whatever. We're just talking about proclaim the kingdom wherever you go, work it in, explain people. This is how the scriptures answer these questions you can do that. Paul is very clear. It is the the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And it is our words that carry the gospel to people. Beloved, it can't just be our words alone. Our lives need to show that it's credible, that the gospel is making, truly making a difference. And that's where we come into verse eight. He says that not only are we to proclaim the kingdom, but look what he says in verse eight. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, cast out demons. We're not only to proclaim the kingdom, but as we go, we also need to practice mercy. We also need to practice mercy. Now, Jesus here, he is he is saying that the primary command i don 't want you to miss this back in verse seven, he says that as you are going, preach the kingdom of heaven is near that is the primary command of what we are to do, but then following that, he gives these four commands kind of in kind of in rapid succession, one, two, three, four boom 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 as you as you are going, proclaiming the kingdom, you are also to do these Things. And what happens is, is that they commend the gospel. They lend credibility to our message. And that's happened a couple of different ways in salvation history four quick commands. And some people have said, you know, well, Jesus is not being literal here. He's being, these are spiritual commands. We should interpret them spiritually. Raising the dead, that means bringing people into the kingdom, healing the sick, those who are downhearted, those who are downtrodden. We, we give them joy in the spirit and all of those things. Um, that's really following a more skeptical view of the text. I, I think Jesus absolutely means this literally because he's telling them to do essentially the same things he was doing in chapters eight and nine. And if we're gonna take this spiritually, then it begs the question, do we have to take chapters eight and nine? Should we take them and spiritualize them? You see the problems that runs into. And so I think he's being absolutely literal. You 12, when you go out, you are to do these things. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. But you kind of, Begs a question, doesn't it? Are these kinds of things that we should be seeking to do today? Are these the kind of things we should be looking for? And so, now you all know that I take a very hard stance against the uh, word of faith movement, the prosperity gospel, or the name it and claim it routines that are out there. It's heresy. It's not Christian. It doesn't even have Christian roots. It's just adapted Christian language. And so we certainly don't want to go there. But beloved, at the same time, I don't want to withhold from you things that are good for your spiritual growth. And I certainly don't want to withhold things that are good in our pursuit of the kingdom. And so we need to ask the question. It's an honest question are these things that we should be seeking to do today? Because this is a text that often comes up. I'm I'm gonna camp out here just a little longer because these are things that often come up. This is a verse that is often used to justify some of the theatrics and antics that we see in churches today. And so what does Jesus tell the church to do? Right here, can't deny it. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, cast out demons. This is what he says to do. And I don't think we can take this in some kind of spiritualized or allegory fashion. So the question is, what do we do? How should we understand this? Well, let me give you two thoughts just really quick. Number one, you know, what's interesting to me, and this is just something to kind of put in your back pocket, that when people quote this text, justifying these things, interesting in their quoting, they never make it to verse nine. Have you ever noticed that? Verse nine, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt. I'm not sure how a $65 million plane falls into that verse. <laughs> you notice they always stop at verse nine, short of verse nine. So, But that's just kind of a smart aleck answer and, and you can just kind of, I won't charge you for that one. But I do think there is a good reason to say that this this is highly contextual, highly contextual, because again, and we've already looked at these verses, look back at verses five and six. What does he say? Don't go on the way of the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, but go only to Israel, right? Now we know, we saw, That later on, once he rises from the dead, Jesus is going to tell them the exact opposite. He's gonna tell them, go into all the world. So that right there is evidence that there is a temporary contextual nature to this text. That Jesus is not necessarily telling the entire church for all ages to do these specific things, but there are principles out of them that we are to draw that later revelation will work out. And we're gonna see that. And so again, the, the issue here is not that we, that we go to them and we seek these things specifically and literally, but that we look at the principle, we recognize the contextual nature of it, but then we look at the principle and we draw out that principle and ask the question, how does the rest of scripture draw these things out? You say, Randy, is there any other evidence that this is highly contextual? Well, yeah, I think there is. Look at, uh, look at what Paul says, 2 Corinthians verse 12, chapter 12 and verse 12. He says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. So Paul identifies these kinds of things in the context as signs of the apostles, So Christ is giving these commands to these specific 12 men. And yet there are principles out of these commands that we broaden with the rest of Revelation. And so what do we see here? And I think the principle that we see here is that we are to practice mercy. We are to practice mercy. We are to work in our culture, and in our lives to alleviate, to help alleviate the consequences of the curse, to alleviate suffering, to help those who are in need. Notice what he says here. Those who have physical ailments, but also those who have spiritual ailments. And and we don't ignore either one. We don't ignore someone's physical needs. And we certainly don't ignore your spiritual needs. Um, what are some ways? What are some ways that we do this? Well, let me let me give you a let me give you a great example. And, and again, I don't know why I'm picking on Walmart this morning, but I was actually in Walmart Tuesday. Um, you know, when all the ice started coming, started falling down. Of course, that was right when Roxanne wanted me to go pick up some groceries, and so so I did. And I went in there, and, uh, and I was paying, and it, and it was only like $15 worth of stuff, but I was doing the self-check thing, and, and I had them all in the bag, and I reached in my back pocket, and guess what is not there? That's the problem with Apple Pay, ladies and gentlemen. You get used to paying with your wrists and stuff, and you run into a place that doesn't use it, and then you leave your wallet in your car. So, so I had to call the guy over, and I was like, hey, can you suspend this transaction because I left my wallet in the car? Well, there was a lady and you actually know her, but I won't, I won't say her name. She's not a member of our church, but, but uh, there was a lady that was at the other thing and she said, nobody should go out in this weather more than they have to. And she took her debit card over to my thing and stuck it in. She had no idea how much it was. It was only 15 bucks, but, but she stuck it in and paid for my groceries. And she said, you don't need to be walking out in this weather any more than you have to. And she just paid for, my, she just paid for it. Pretty cool, Right? And that's a really small act, but you know, a lot of small acts adds up to a big witness. Amen, right? You know what, sometimes they're gonna be small, sometimes they're gonna be huge, but all of it lends credence and all of it lends credibility to our witness, to our proclamation of the kingdom. And let me just give you kind of some ways that that Christ himself works this out. Uh, turn in the end of Matthew in in chapter twenty five, and he's talking about the final judgment, and he's talking about uh, he's using the imagery of separating sheep from goats and 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 those kind of metaphors, and so um, and so in any way in chapter thirty four, and then he says, and then the king will say to those who are on the right. Come to you who are blessed by my Father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And watch the evidence of this. Look what he says. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Those on the right will say, Lord, when did we do all of these things? And when did we see you as a stranger? When did we see you naked? When did, we, when did we welcome you? When would we feed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Look at verse 40. The king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it also to me. And then to those on the left, the goats, he's going to say the exact opposite. You did not do these things because you didn't do it to the least of these. To the least of these. In fact, go back in Matthew chapter 10. Most of us won't even have to turn the page. But look how he ends this chapter, look how he ends these instructions. He says, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Just even a cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus Christ is a small act that lends credibility to the message of the gospel. Beloved, let me ask you this. What, this week, what will your cup of cold water be? What will you give to the least of these? Maybe for you, maybe it's a hospital visit. Maybe it's someone, you know, there's no law that says that only the pastor can do those things. Maybe it's visit someone in the hospital. Maybe it's visit a nursing home and, and talk to someone who's there, one of our members who are in the nursing home. Maybe... Maybe they would like to visit Brother Jim Hall or, or, or Don Hewer or, or one of these that are in resting homes. Maybe it's someone who doesn't have many visitors. We were talking in the deacons a few, a few nights ago and Art brought up a really good point. He said, you know, when churches go and visit people in nursing homes, no, they cannot go to our church, but there's a, nurse, there's a nursing staff that notices. There are... There are grandkids that get told. There are children who get told. There are, there are other people in the nursing home who have children, who have grandchildren, and they talk about this church that goes and visits people. That was a really good point. That's why we keep art around. Maybe it's a phone call. But whatever it is, we communicate that God cares about those who are in pain. God cares about those who are suffering. James chapter two, verse 15. James is never one to mince words. says in chapter two, verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Then he goes on to say, faith without works is dead. So, beloved, please understand, these things are not the gospel. We're not, we don't want to err on the side of a social gospel where, where all we're looking for is the salvation of the body. We're not we're not talking about that. These things are not the gospel, but they commend the gospel. They lend credibility to the gospel. How can we effectively proclaim the message of God's mercy if we are unmerciful? How in the world If we do not show mercy to others, then how in the world are we gonna convince anyone of God's mercy? When we are ungracious and unmerciful to others, what does that give them the impression that our message here on Sunday morning is? What does that tell them that we're preaching about on Sunday mornings and teaching about and reading about? So many churches are are so good at pointing out all the sins of the culture. And yes, we need to do that. I'm I'm not belittling that. But what happened to going into the culture and showing them there's a better way? What about mercy? How are we gonna convince people of God's mercy if we're unmerciful? How can we do that? What impression will they get? So beloved, this morning, and and that's as far as we're gonna go this morning, there's two more we'll look at next week as we work our way through verse 15. But beloved, this morning, we saw as we go out to the world, proclaim the kingdom. But don't just stop there, practice mercy. Proclaim the kingdom and practice mercy. Mercy. This doesn't come natural to us. We are are by nature unmerciful people, looking out for number one, looking out for my interest, looking out for what I want. We naturally do this. So, this is not something that comes natural to us. This is something that, like the fruits of the Spirit, it has to be a work of God in our hearts that we cultivate in the process of sanctification. So the question is, how can, we, how can we do this? What are some reminders that we need to keep in front of us as we go throughout the week, moving on into this week? Just some quick reminders. Number one, commitment to the mission of the kingdom comes from remembering who we serve. So remind yourself that we live to serve Christ. Romans chapter 14, verse 18. You have that written down there, but Matthew, four, uh, Romans 14, 18. It says that whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So remind yourself throughout the week that I live to serve Christ because that's where commitment comes from. It comes from remembering who we serve. Number two, Commitment to the kingdom comes from a desire to please. And so remind yourself each week, remind yourself every day, whom am I living to please today? Did you notice that these two are related? Who we serve, who we please. In fact, uh, look just a few pages over, Galatians chapter one. And Paul says in, in chapter one, verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And said, whoever it is that we are seeking to please is the one whom we are serving. So there's a direct correlation between who we serve and who we're trying to please. But it goes on from there commitment to the mission comes from love. So remind yourself. Who it is that we're to love the most. Again, love is expressed in pursuit and commitment. And these are going to be related because whoever we love is who we're going to desire to please, and whoever we please we desire to please is who we're going to serve. And so that's why Jesus says in John 14 15, if you love me you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Ultimately, a commitment is a question of who we love. And these things build on each other. I talked about those two Port Authority officers, uh, John McLaughlin and Will Jameno, I think's his name. They were stuck under the World Trade Center. They had lost all hope. But what they didn't know was a couple of states away, there was a retired staff sergeant, Marine staff sergeant named David Carnes who felt called by God to go to the scene of the attack. And he got there and he started roaming the wreckage looking for survivors. And when he found those two officers, He started yelling to them and telling them that we were here and the guys started telling them, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. And I love what he says in the movie and I don't know if he said this or not. He says in the movie, buddy, we're United States Marines. We're not going anywhere. You are our mission. Doesn't that just send chills up your spine? I know Art liked it. (laughs) So... (laughs) our Marine back there. But beloved, we go out to the world and we tell them we are the church. We're not going anywhere because you are our mission. And we are not gonna run from the culture. We are gonna run into the culture headlong. We're running straight into the fire because we know like the three Hebrew children, The son of God is gonna be right there in that fire with us. So beloved, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you need to understand you are our mission. And we want to share the kingdom with you. Christ came and he lived and he died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven. He rose from the dead so that you could have new life in him. And he is now at the right hand of God and he is offering himself as a savior from your sin and from the wrath for sin. And if you're here this morning and if you will repent of your sin and you will trust, you will place your faith in Christ alone for salvation, you will have it. You can call out to Christ this morning and he will save you. You are our mission. If that's you and you're here this morning, we wanna share that saving message with you. We're not going anywhere. You are our mission. And we want you to know Christ as Savior. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these principles that you have given us. Lord, I pray this morning that there's one here who does not know Christ, that they will come to know you this morning. Lord, we also pray that you would give us as the church a holy zeal to be on mission for you. Lord, raise our commitment. Let us pursue you and be committed to your mission. Lord, maybe there's one here this morning that they want they want prayer to be empowered because there's someone who, who needs to know in their life. And this is, they say, this is the week. This is the week I'm gonna share with them. Lord, may they come up here and pray. Maybe there's one who has received the word, but they need to testify to that. They need to confess that in baptism. And they wanna show the world now that they are identified with you. Lord, may they come. Or if there's one here who needs to know you, I pray they would come. Whatever their need is, may you do business with us as a church this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand and just keep your head bowed for just a moment. And I'm just going to ask you to think about that person you might be sent to this week. Think about who it is that you love the most. Is it is it Christ? Is it your boss? Is it your spouse? Is it your children? Whoever it is, who is it that you love the most? Say, how can I know? Because that's gonna show up in what you're most committed to. What are you most committed to? That's who you love the most or what you love the most. And most of the time, it's gonna be some expression of yourself. And so I ask you this morning, if you're here and you need to lay all those idols aside, and be committed to the mission of Christ and to him and him alone. I invite you to come. Express that in prayer. Whatever it is you need.